diverse teams, I think, perform better because you don't have monothink, you don't have groupthink, you have diversity of thought. But if you're extending your talent pool to be as wide as possible, it's simply good business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Behave podcast. My name is Munyahoto. I am your host and VP of marketing here at CyberSafe. Today, I am extremely delighted to be able to welcome onto the show Vic Jondo, who is Senior Responsible Officer, Security, Culture and Education at BT. Uh, Vic, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Munya. Thank you very much. I must say, I have been looking forward to this one, and I think our audience is in for a bit of a treat. <laughs> so let's, let's dive right in. Let's not waste any more time. Vic, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, your, your, your story, your background, and you know, go back as far as you want to go, just to give us a bit of flavor and context of, of the man. Oh, goodness. Um, if I tell you too much, I'll uh, tell you way too much about how old I am. Um, but my, my career started in print media. I was a, a commissioning editor and sometime journalist uh, when magazines were a, were a huge thing, when uh, print media was very much king, way, way before the sort of online age, if you like. Um, so working for various types of, of uh, trade press and lifestyle press back in, back in those days. We're talking, you know, sort of mid to late 1990s now. And through that, um, I managed to uh, work for an organization that did a, a lot of trade press for the finance industry, for the HR industry as well. I was the commissioning editor on one of their, one of their big pieces. I devised the information product and it was one of the first um, sort of books, if you like, to have an online cousin to go alongside it when it went to market. So this is, you know, we're talking 99, 2000 now. So, you know, a very long time ago, it now seems it, it definitely is, um, but that did well. The success of that caught the eye of one of the big consultancy firms. They were setting up a communications uh, practice within their consultancy arm. So I went to work for them for a couple of years and then moved into various communications management roles in, in other big companies around sort of 2009 and started to make the transition from just communications and into change management and business transformation, um, working for a number of um, public and private organizations. And then IT started to play a, a greater, greater part in companies' transformation programs. So um, I ended up leaning, leaning in to that side of business transformation. And then from there, uh, continued on with business change. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fast forwarding here, ending up at Network Rail, doing a, a role in, in business change again, but on physical security. That then caught the attention of somebody who was leading governance and risk at Unilever. Uh, and she wanted an engagement and communications person to come in and, and, and help build a security, cultural security awareness team there as well as execute on strategy. I, I, I was persuaded to join, um, didn't take much persuasion. It was an area that I was interested in anyway, even though I'd never uh, worked in cyber awareness before. Quickly took to it, quickly enjoyed it, built a team, ran the, the strategy and then uh, crossed the floor from cyber to data privacy, moved over to a, a, another large organization, um, European-based organization, dealing with uh, security and alarms, um, leading them on GDPR and data privacy in the training and awareness space before again crossing the floor within that organization 
to lead on training and awareness in the cyberspace as well. Then a segue into banking and a, a short stint leading targeted training and awareness there, looking at high-risk roles and, and the enhanced learning, engagement, and communications that those communities who are higher risk, shall we say, needed to be addressed. And then landing here at, at BT, pretty much as a one-man band, brought in to look at engagement and transformation, and then look at that, the whole sort of security awareness space. I, I put the threads together to write a strategy for um, overall security culture at BT. I then set about trying to um, just spot internal talent, spot talent across BT, spot interested people who might want to join me. Managed to hire two people, one person from the technology community and another person from elsewhere in cybersecurity to join me initially, and then um, recruited a communications person from another uh, very large organization to come up and work alongside me as well to work on communications. Around the same time, I managed to inherit a, a really good security behaviors team um, that were looking at social engineering, phishing as well, uh, as well as um, some some other uh, sorts sort of social engineering type and security behaviors activities, including our physical estate as well. So not just our cyber estate. So I inherited them as well. So I now have a team of 10. So I've gone from in the space of a year, being a one-man band to leading a team of 10. It is a statement of how the whole organization now values addressing human risk and the space that growing a secure culture plays in mitigating that risk. Jeez Louise, Vic. I mean, I told our <laughs> audience that they'd be <laughs> they'd fit in for a treat, but um, just that journey from you know starting in print media and of going through that communications route, change management, business transformation, business change, large organizations, global organizations, expertise in data privacy, GDPR, and now, you know, this fascinating team that you have at the moment. We could just dwell on that alone and just ask you how you've done it, but I will save that for another episode. Curious to learn, you are the Senior Responsible Officer Security Culture and Education at BT. That's 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 what um, I found uh, through research. Yeah. What does that mean, actually, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? What is a day in the life of someone like you look like and perhaps even you know for you and the team what are we what are you actually dealing mm. with on a day-to-day -day basis that sort of role that sort of senior responsible officer role is is, is something i hear has come from government it's it's, a, it's it's very much a government term when leading uh, major programs in terms of security culture it means that um, there's an acknowledgement that I, I wrote the the strategy around building a security culture at bt so rather than just write it and let somebody else deliver it. They've asked me to write it, lead it, and drive the team towards it as well. So I've got um, members of my team leading on different elements of, of that strategy, whether it's education, whether it's communications, whether it's campaigns, or looking at uh, defining which behaviors um, that we want everybody in BT to engender. But it's also providing the um, the strategic support to all the other strategic themes, and and there there are many of them. Because part of building a secure culture is very much around uh, constantly communicating to all levels of the organisation as to what secure behaviours are, what secure decision making is, whether it's day to day decision making or strategic decision making at the higher levels as well. Overall, what sort of culture and behaviours we expect from every employee from the, a new joiner right up to the senior executive. And the senior executive is a key in this. 
um, because I, I'm very much um, looking at that community to lead the way on this. My, I see my team as very much facilitators. Sure, we drive the security culture strategy with our, with our activities, our, our initiatives and so on. But ultimately, it's got to feel as though the organization is taking it on and the organization's leaders, both large and small, are driving it. That is complex at best, Vic. You know, that role of facilitator, I think, must come with a lot of um, compromise and perhaps a lot of um, um, kind of meeting groups in the middle. Mm. So here's a challenging, perhaps, question for you as somebody who I'm sure has strongly held views about uh, the sector and and the industry, but also needs to get alignment, perhaps not always agreement, but certainly alignment Mm. um, from different parts of the organization. What are some of the things that you believe that most people would actually disagree with you on and that you are driving through and creating perhaps um, alignment or bringing the organization to an understanding of with respect to uh, security culture, for example? Yes, I mean, it is probably two things. The first thing is around is around human risk itself. So I, I'm often uh, sitting on roundtables or sitting on mm. panels and or speaking at, at industry events. And I, and I hear that you know, hum, humans are our weakest link. And <laughs> factually, is that true? Yes, of course, there is an element of truth in that. However, that can be our strongest protectors if we enable and empower them to do so. And sometimes we as security people or, ju- or simply us as just, just people building products and building platforms are not building things with the human in mind. We are building, building platforms, building systems, drawing out processes that can sometimes expose the end user, the end human mm. being at, at, who's operating them at extra risk. One uh, example that I often give is, for example, if you, work in, if you work in procurement, if you're dealing with suppliers all the time, why design a process whereby the only way where your procurement people can deal with suppliers is with suppliers sending emails in that have attachments? When one of the threat vectors we know of phishing is people opening attachments. So why don't we design processes with the human being in mind and make it far, far easier for the human being to make the correct security choices? So sometimes it's not about the human being. It's the way we design, we design our platforms, our processes, and so on. Because I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've, and I've heard you discuss this or describe this, this, this thought that you have around thoughtful design. From my own understanding and perhaps for our audience as well, what do you think is the reason why we don't have those kind of that thoughtful design in place at the moment. What has led us to that point where there is a chasm between what the outcome we want and the systems that we design? Mm. When we design things, we're normally we're normally driven by two things: profitability, building something relatively inexpensively, but something that uh, brings return on investment, or um, something for expediency, which also you know increases speed so that people can get on and do other work. And in doing so. We often design uh, products not thinking about security at all, which is why, you know, in a lot of organizations, and BT is no different, there's an increasing focus, and there definitely should be an increasing focus, on um, secure by design or even secure by default, where we, we are really looking at designing, um, designing um, applications, designing software, designing products with the end user in mind and keeping them safe and secure as well. I like those. I like those both. And I, and I wonder whether, you know, it's a journey to go from secure by design to initially that being a default position on, yeah. Yeah. you know, 
can definitely come to that. I want to go back to to one thing that you said, which is, um, you know, with the user in mind, and that brings me to this word culture that shows up in, in your role title, but, but also something that I've heard you describe before, which is you make a distinction between security culture and a culture of security. Um, and, oh, and, and, and wow, what is yeah. that? <laughs> and how does that kind of play into these ideas that you, that you have here? Goodness me, I see it as really subtle. An industry colleague and a, and a friend to many, a colleague of mine, John Scott, who is well known in the security awareness or security culture uh, industry, um, has often made that point. It is a journey of moving from security awareness where people are just aware of what they need to do differently. Security behaviors where people are actually acting on that and making, making active choices and behaving differently because of security. And a security culture where um, an organization is starting to think about its whole decision-making process uh, in, in terms of both day-to-day -day decisions and strategic decisions around security culture and around security itself. A culture of security takes it up a notch. It's security culture plus. It's absolutely everything in that organization is, uh, is security minded as a first thought. I would even go as far as to say as, as not a thought at all, because we are no longer thinking about it. It's just something we do. It's just some, it's just the way we, we behave. It's not questioned. It's not asked for. It's just what people do when they turn up for work and what people do once they leave the office. It is that woven into the fabric of everything. How do we actually help? Because you're right in the sense of journey that you've described going from awareness to behavior change to culture. And then you've got this security culture plus this culture of security. But we're mostly dealing in most organizations with people that are not security professionals. Yeah, um, you've already described procurement teams, you've described mm. supply chain guys. It feels like a mission impossible, um, at least from the outside looking in when you're dealing with a behemoth like BT, for example, that you can get everybody to have like really, really um, strong security reflexes or instincts, you know, the, you know that, that aspect of not thinking about it at all. How do you boil that ocean and, and, and how do you actually uh, start to achieve real, real change? Well, I think the key thing is uh, you don't, you, you don't boil the ocean. You, you take audiences um, one at a time. There is one overarching audience that, that you can treat in their entirety. And those are your senior executives who I believe you, you have to spend a lot of time influencing because you've got to almost do something that is counterintuitive and have them not see it as a security issue because they will switch off. But talk to them in the language of risk. Senior mm -hmm. executives understand risk, whether that's reputational risk, legal risk, financial risk. When talking to that community about security, speak to them in the language of risk, uh, reputational risk being a huge one. And then they will start to sit up and take notice. They will see the so what in their, in their given areas. And then you're starting to prime them for what is ahead. Now, there's lots of different things you can, you can do starting off with um, introducing it into meetings or having uh, briefing sessions on it or having security experts come in and speak to them. But one of the things I'm looking at is having it woven in to the objectives of senior executives, because once it's woven into objectives, people will really will start to uh, see it take hold as they see it's linked to their own performance. So they're much likely to then influence the rest of their organizations. But the other way of doing it, of course, is bottom up. You're really sort of looking at all facets of the organization, whether it's people in customer facing roles or people in back office functions or people in sales and sales functions and really talking to them in, in ways that they would understand, making security 
resonate for them and also linking it back to their home lives with their families too so that they, these are behaviors they can they can bring to their family life keep their children safe particularly online as well and also um, make sure that perhaps for other relatives who are perhaps not so cyber savvy that they are able to give advice to those family members and those family friends on how best to protect their data because at the moment as we know data is absolutely key and king and queen right now that's where the value is and that's what um, the bad guys out there are looking to steal from people so make it resonate um, both at work and at home make sure you've got your senior leaders aligned to bang that drum for you and walk the walk and talk the talk i love that and i think that is literally one of the nuggets from this that i promised our audience right at the beginning i think i've got to come back to that because i think it's a fundamental point make sure your senior speak to your senior executives in a language that they understand and senior executives understand risk i think that there yeah. is there is there is you know, that is a very firm point but i think it's often missed i've 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 engaged with senior security leaders who you know they've been given the template for what to say in a board meeting environment you know they can almost they've I've, I've had people say you know i can see the the group glaze over as i talk about yeah. our latest pen, you know pen test results or you know the latest kind of micro experiment that we're running in the security organization but the moment you transition to the kind of meat and potatoes of the organization profitability you know reputation um growth those types of things and that there is a there's, there's a threat to those things um you know you get their attention and not just their attention you know you get their engagement and then ultimately you get their support so i think that is a fantastic point do you have any others on just um senior stakeholder engagement i i do it's about turning turning the conversation around a little bit because a lot of security security chat security discussions they can be quite negative or fear inducing rather than constantly frame things in negative or threat terms why don't we start looking at opportunities where security can actually enable growth, where se better security can actually lead to um, higher or better quality productivity? How about we, you know, we start using security as a differentiator in brand? Um, you know, choose us rather than the brand down the road because we'll look after your data and we can prove yeah. we will look after your data to the highest standard. And if the worst comes to the worst, and if an organization was to be compromised, if you can give assurances to your customers that you'll constantly communicate them, keep them in the loop and recover, recover as quickly as possible, you're giving yeah. them uh, a bit more assurance than the company down the street. So it's about turning it into a positive as well. Well, there's another one. We've got this, speak to them in the, in the language they understand, but actually reframe the conversation and move away from this kind of um, reputation, perhaps, that the security yes. teams often have, which is, you know, here they come, you know, with their... Uh, here they come with, with the their, bad news. <laughs> here they come with the bad news. Here they come with yet more training. You know, here they come with yet more of these types of things. Actually, there is an opportunity here to differentiate the brand, to drive growth, and to support the business's kind of strategic objectives um, through through the security kind of initiatives. I think that's 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 fascinating. Can I double-click on... On, on this bottom-up point mm. that you made as well, which is, you know, security is not just at a, a at-work thing anymore. Perhaps surfacing its important importance outside of work can get people to engage more with it at work. Um, yes. Is that, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that what you're seeing? It, it definitely is. It definitely is. Pe people want to feel supported when they're at home as well with, with security advice. There, there is an element of, even though these days people move companies a lot, a lot more often than perhaps when I started my career, but there is still that that feeling that if, if a company is doing something responsible and something that can can help one in their home life, that it, it is something that is appreciated. 
yeah, definitely that does that does help. Putting security in, in very simple, easy to understand uh, terms and, and stripping out the technical bits as much as possible so that it resonates with um, with as many audiences as possible. On the education side of things, it's you know it's, it's keeping education short, punchy. If the organisational culture allows, by all means, add humour. I know it's not for everyone, uh, mm-hmm. but in certain situations it can work. And if you are going to use humour, do be mindful if you work in a multi uh, multinational organisation that the same humour doesn't often land in different countries. Um, wow. So um, it, it's one that is that is highly effective at times, but should be used sparingly. You know what? You're absolutely right. And, and you know, that's a whole Pandora's box that, that we have to, we're not going to open today, but I would love to understand just how, you know, security leaders like yourself are navigating cultural nuance in global organizations while trying to deliver, you know, you know contextually relevant information. You know, there is a lot of easy missteps there, but there's, there's a credible path towards a, a strategic outcome around a positive security culture if you can, if you can pull it off. Yeah, there is. Uh, I mean, I've I've been, you know, some might say fortunate enough, but I, w- I would definitely say fortunate enough because it's given me great experiences to work for the, the last several years in organizations that have had quite a global footprint. Landing security awareness, and also I would even include data privacy and GDPR when that rolled out um, back in 2018. Um, mm. It's been very, very interesting landing, uh, landing culture uh, around the same time, around the same subject, across multiple multiple geographies. What works in India doesn't work in Germany. What works in Germany doesn't work in the States. What works in the States doesn't work in Latin America. What works in Latin America, strangely enough, sometimes doesn't work in Spain. So um, so it, it it is very, very interesting to see that cultural nuance. But that's where champions and having a network of champions really does help. Having a network of champions that sit at country level um, they can either be IT or technological-driven security champions, or they can be business-led security champions. I would recommend to have a mix of both because you get to see how um, your security culture lands in the business and also how it lands with your technology community as well. Great to have a network like that to help service where the big issues are, um, surface where security might not be landing locally, but also to help promote messages from the center in a way that resonates to local audiences. I, I was amazed, absolutely amazed when I went to Bangalore many years ago uh, to see how communications lands um, in somewhere like India. Completely different approach than what you might expect, say in the UK or in Europe, but it works. You're dishing them out, okay? <laughs> we don't have enough time, right? Um, to my audience, that's, that's the that's my third favorite point of, of you know all equal in value, a network of champions at country level that contemplate the cultural nuance to make sure that that message resonates um, where you're sending it to. That is fantastic. I'm going to force us to move on and switch lanes here, being conscious of the time that we have. When you think about all of this complexity um, around kind of delivering and and effecting culture change or behavior change and, and security culture in organizations, speaking personally, perhaps, you know, what, what keeps you awake at night as a security professional at the moment, perhaps professionally or even deep personally around around these, these threats that we see on a daily basis? I'll start with the personal. Team. You know, data is absolute king and queen here. In my personal life or my family life, I'm constantly concerned for family members, friends, 
um, in my case, particularly older family members, um, because they're so they're so active online uh, in recent times, but perhaps not had the security education that that maybe some of the rest of us have had. And they're out there busy making making connections, which is wonderful, by the way. It's it you know it's great um, that people are able to do that, particularly um, particularly older people. But that then comes with a lot of risk. It comes with you know sharing data that they perhaps shouldn't be sharing. It comes with the danger of social engineering, and let's not you know forget. And I know it's a generational thing, but I wouldn't say in the main, but it's it, it's quite frequent that um, older people have more to lose in terms of finances and assets. Many of them are retired; they've had a a long life of of working, and it's sitting on might be sitting on a decent pension, or 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 might be in a home that they've been in for many years that has high value. It, it worries me how um, how their information can be stolen, how they can be impersonated, how they can be defrauded. That keeps me awake from a personal perspective. From a more business perspective, certainly uh, the geopolitical shifts that we're seeing is is something that it that does certainly worry me. I, I work for an organisation. I've worked for a couple of organisations in my career as well that are part of UK's critical national infrastructure. If that were to get compromised in any way, given the threats we're seeing out there at the moment, it, you know, the you know so, some of the impacts could be quite catastrophic. So that's a constant concern. I know um, from the various industry roundtables that I I sit on or am an, uh, an attendee at that it worries other sort of CEOs, other C-suite, senior security professionals as well. Constantly having to keep up both technologically and um, behaviorally to the threats that are out there is is a, a constant concern. But hey, look, on the plus side, it keeps me employed. So, <laughs> so <laughs> there's constant learning to be had. But yeah, of course, um, if, if one works in critical national infrastructure, you're always going to be concerned in terms of um, data and security incidents. It's a very sobering kind of set of points you just made there because I think it's easy to forget because we see this stuff every day um, you know, and we get used to it, just how important the work is that security professionals are doing, um, you know, not just at the at the individual level, but, you know, at, at, the, at the org level. And then, of course, those that work in critical national infrastructure, you know, you're protecting more than what is obvious. It's not just BT um, that is at risk. If our communications go down, everything from hospitals to schools to yeah. the military to the police, you know, there's a lot of connected. <laughs> everything is interconnected and I'm very grateful actually for the work that you guys are doing over there to try and make sure that, you know, at BT, um, that, you know, we're kept secure and protected, you know, behind that, there is a lot of other dependents that are uh, re- reliant on BT to continue going and to, um, and to continue to be safe and secure. So that, that is, that is really, really rather helpful and, and really cool. Um, so we're, we're almost at time. There was one more thing I wanted to ask you, and I suspect we're going to come back for uh, yet another episode, and I hope you would agree to come back and talk about this. But one of the things that I observe as a black man in, in the security industry is that um, there is a need for us to support the diversity agenda. Uh, what is your perspective on diversity in the security industry? And indeed, where are we going and how can we effect positive change? As you say, that's a whole nother show. Uh, and yeah, uh, yeah, of course, I'll be, I'll be delighted to come back and 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 speak. I've got a few views on this. So, so first, we 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 know that diversity, not just not just when it comes to ethnicity, but but also gender, is a big one as well in the security industry. It is so male dominated. So it's not just about about ethnicity. However, yes, you are absolutely right. There is a dearth of of black professionals, particularly senior black black professionals in the industry. 
and, and we do need to do more, whether that's in terms of outreach to schools, colleges, universities, and really start working better to address that balance. We're bringing in a, a pipeline of, of fresh, fresh talent. But also, I'd say, say as well, you know, in recruitment processes. Now, I'll, I'll say this: if you apply for, you know, a team of ten people, uh, the ten people who get that role are ten white guys, and they, you know, in in, in rigorous interview processes, they were seen to be the best. If they truly were the best, then they were the best. If the best in the market, are ten white guys, then you hire ten white guys. It's really that simple. However, what we must do is ensure. We are uh, utilizing the best talent out there and widening that net as much as possible. So you get quite diverse pools of talent, quite diverse pools of thought, because two things. Firstly, diverse teams, I think, perform better because you don't have monothink. You don't have groupthink. You have diversity of thought. And that's, again, that's not just ethnicity. That's, you know, social class, gender. It's, it's everything. And I'm not saying that it should be like that in every single occasion for every single type of role. But if you're extending your talent pool to be as wide as possible, it's simply good business. You're going through rigorous processes to make sure that the best people you could possibly hire at that moment in time are in your team, or at least being interviewed and getting very close to getting that role. Apart from it being a diversity or cultural issue, it's simply good business to have the best people around the table, regardless of where they're from. I think we all want good business, Vic. <laughs> so I would agree with that 100%. Honestly, thank you so much for your time. To my audience, my guest today has been Vic Jondo. He is the Senior Responsible Officer of Security, Culture and Education at BT. Again, here's a few highlights from what I've learned today. And I think these are going to go up in some kind of blog post sooner rather than later. <laughs> engage senior executives in language that they can understand. And we now have learned that they understand risk. I think we've got to reframe the conversation from it always being a negative to helping us to figure out how we can actually frame the security program as something that can support the strategic initiatives of the business growth differentiation of brand, for example. And for those organizations that have a global footprint, you do need a network of champions at country level. I think that th those are my three favorite points, but then you just hit us with another one. Diversity and diverse teams perform better and it's simply good business. Vic, thank you so much for coming on the show and I can't wait to have you back again very, very soon. Thanks, Munya, and thanks to all those uh, who've taken the time out to listen as well. Cheers, thanks very much. Um, we will see you on the next episode of the Behave Podcast. Take care for now.